grant writing. It's one of those things that all organizations struggle with. I had a client one time before we started working with them ask me what a good rate of return would be on grants. She had submitted over 50 grant applications in one year. That's right. That's almost one a week. And unfortunately, they only got one or two back. That's a lot of work for not a lot of return. So today I've invited Siobhan Richardson to the podcast. Siobhan is the founder and CEO of Think and Inc. Grant Consulting, and she knows this stuff well. And Siobhan is going to walk us through how to build a successful grant program. Now, I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and you're listening to the Small Nonprofit Podcast, where we bring you practical, down-to-earth advice on how to run your small nonprofit. You are going to change the world, and we can help. Siobhan, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I am so delighted to have you on the podcast. And we were just, you just mentioned that the topic that we cover today, you just had featured in a Forbes article. So, congratulations. Thank so you. Exciting. Hat off the press. Woohoo. Uh, so, today we're going to be talking about grant writing, but specifically, even before you get into the writing, Grant readiness, because I I swear every single small organization I know has a mandate to increase grant support. And I would say 90% of them struggle with the same things where they feel like they're putting out application or LOI after LOI, sending all the stuff out into the universe and not getting the results. And What we're going to talk about and what I'm going to get you to dive into is it starts before you put pen to paper or you hit the keyboard. You know, you have to do some work as an organization to actually be successful with this. So let's talk about, I'm going to give you a bit of a free for all question, which is, you know, let you start. What do you either some of the challenges you see, or if you want, we can dive right into the good stuff in the how to. Mm -hmm. So I'll let you uh, let you get started. Yeah, well, thanks for having me again. Um, I will start by saying a lot of the things that I am sharing is based upon real world experience. I was a nonprofit leader. I worked for a corporate foundation, and now I am a grant consultant and founder for of Thinking Inc. Grant Consulting. So what I am saying and sharing is because I have sat in the, that seat. So I understand it comes from a place of empathy and love and understanding what nonprofit leaders go through. Um, and then also my experiences with my clients just reinforces that. I say, yep, I know where you are. And so when it comes to writing grants, a lot of organizations, they just want to dive in, Right. And it's understandable because you need grant funding. You need to, you know, have some type of process in place to write and submit grants. And it's very, very tempting because you see these RFPs and you see the money and you know what's out there. You know, you do great work and you just want to dive in and go. 
But what I tell people and nonprofit leaders is that if you take the time upfront to really lay down a strong foundation before starting to write grants, you not only will save valuable time and money down the road, but you will make your application more competitive. And I just find a lot of organizations want to skip that part and get right into grant writing to your point about why they're not winning. So I have these conversations often to get the message out there of how important it is to do the strategic work before you start writing grants. I have, we have a former client who I know listens to this podcast. So if she's listening, maybe she'll get a kick out of this. When at some point she asked me, you know, what's a good, um, good response rate or good success rate with grants? I think she were writing like 30 to 50 grants a year and not even getting one. And I said, well, it's not about the response. It's not about how many you send out, right? Like, and I see so many organizations just trying to send out as many as they can. Mm -hmm. It's about doing the work to do them well. You can Mm -hmm. submit fewer, hopefully even have less, do less work and have better results. So that is the sweet spot. That's what we're going to talk about today. Mm -hmm. I'd love to hear from you what you think, like, let's start into the nitty gritty of Mm -hmm. what does grant readiness look like? What should we be doing now before Mm -hmm. we take any steps to, to apply for grants? Mm -hmm. There are five things in my opinion nonprofit leaders and board members and organizations should do before writing grants. And we'll we'll touch on all of them during our time together. Um, but I, I would start by equating grant readiness with strategy, mm. right? And really going through the basics of what that looks like. So the first point, no, actually, we'll start with... Um, We'll start with another one um, Mm -hmm. that I feel is most important. So we'll start there. Perfect. Building relationships with funders. Mm. You know how you talked about nonprofit organizations are submitting 30 to 50 applications a year and not getting a response. It's because if you really take the time and focus on quality over quantity and do the research, the only select foundations that are really aligned with what you do, not a stretch, not outside of your current program, but are really aligned with what you do. And you take the time to cultivate a relationship with that funder. You will go much further when you go to submit an application. In our industry, we call it submit, not submitting a cold application. Submitting mm-hmm. a cold application is where you're just submitting applications. You've never spoken to the person. They don't know you. And at the end of the day, people give to people. Mm-hmm. So executive directors are already super busy. And so really narrowing that down, uh, that list of potential foundations down to those that you've researched the funders giving history, you already know there are other organizations that are similar to yours that they've given to. You've had a conversation, you've reached out, you've submitted LOI, and they want to hear more about your work. That is cultivating a relationship, sending emails, having meetings. If you're not doing that, you're wasting your time. 
Mm. And really, it's hard to do because it's so labor intensive, which really echoes the point of narrowing down to just a few targeted foundations that you want to build a relationship with. So I would say that is probably the number one thing that nonprofit organizations should focus on before writing grants. Um, hundred percent agree. <laughs> I love this. And I, I, there's so many points I want to bring up. I just want to sort of, you, you mentioned the labor intensive piece and I just juxtapose that with the 50 applications a year. Like you're gonna, you're still spending a lot of time. As you said, it's quality over quantity, but I want to mm-hmm. go a little bit deeper. Um, mm-hmm. because I, have seen so many organizations get stuck or, or, or overwhelmed with, okay, how do I reach out? Or they're not mm-hmm. returning my emails. And so can you tell talk a little bit about what that kind of initial outreach, I think most people, once they've had a conversation, they know how to continue a conversation, but I think they get stuck in mm-hmm. that initial outreach. What are some of your favorite tricks and tools for that? Yeah, well, I think this is a, a difficult question to answer because it depends. I hate to say it depends. It's my favorite. <laughs> it's my only answer 90% of the time. It does depend. So I love that. Dep- yeah. Yeah. It depends on who the funder is. It really does. And I will say kind of the support that I provide is coaching of this particular friender likes to be approached this way. Mm. This is the best way to do it. Based on experience with foundations, based on my own personal experience. Now, I worked for a corporate foundation where I had to review grant applications and, you know, help select who would get what as well as sponsorship applications. And one of my pet peeves is when nonprofits would add me to their newsletter list. Mm. And I would always get these emails, not like my inbox wasn't already flooded with emails, but I would always get their newsletters just, you know, they felt like, oh, we're just kind of keeping in the loop. No, it's actually a little annoying (laughs) and it'll make me unsubscribe from your, your newsletter. And so like in that situation... I do encourage, you know, that personal outreach, uh, mailing things is a really cool tip because a lot of people don't do it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. So maybe putting something in the mail, I think the, the most coolest outreach that I received was someone mailed me a, a picture of one of the children that we supported and a, a letter with like a finger paint drawing. Thank you so much for giving to us. And really, I put it on my wall in my office and I kept it. You know, things like that mean a lot. And and in this day and age, we rarely get mail. So to get something on my desk, I'm like, oh, what is this? This is interesting. It caught my attention. Mm-hmm. And so if there's one tip I can share, and of course, this, this varies by funder, just really depends. Um, if you have an opportunity to mail something that really increases your chances of being able to connect with the person you're trying to build a relationship with. Mm. And I love that example, because it's not about mailing the application. It's about mm-hmm. the touch points that build the relationship, which again, is is the purpose of this, this point. And yes, Mm -hmm. it always depends. Um, And some of it is trial and error, right? One of the things we just had a a coaching call, I think last week, where someone was frustrated because they were reaching out, trying to get feedback or have conversations with grantors, and they weren't getting anywhere. And so as my you know, no response. And oftentimes I find that's very true of sort of smaller family foundations. 
And so I said, just submit, even like, don't spend a lot of time, but submit sign general. And then when they say yes or no, which realistically it's going to be no, can you turn that into an opportunity to ask for feedback and turn that into the start of a relationship? So there's different ways, as you said, it really does depend on the funder. Uh, But those are some really good examples. Mm -hmm. So we need to build a relationship, right? As you said, people give to people and people care. Mm-hmm. Moving from there, what are some of the other foundations that we need to build within our organization mm-hmm. to be able to actually have a good proposal? Mm-hmm. Well, to have an actual good proposal, uh, I would probably say that the number two thing I would probably recommend is sprucing up your program your project. Um, When I say sprucing up, that really means going back and seeing, does your program still fit the needs of who you are serving? Hmm. Um, That means taking a fresh look at your community needs assessments, if you have them, uh, updating the data that's there, Um, Also kind of looking at um, any new opportunities to serve those that you weren't previously serving. So that's an example of kind of redesigning a program. And if you're starting a program from scratch, perhaps doing a logic model. Mm -hmm. I am a strong proponent of a logic model. And this really speaks to your question about how to write a really strong proposal, when you do a logic model, and I know they're not easy, and sometimes it takes a person like me or yourself to walk you through a logic model, um, a logic model will pull out all those juicy details that funders ask for. Mm -hmm. They will ask, what are your smart outcomes? What are your short-term, intermediate-term, long-term objectives? What's your overall vision? What are your activities? How are you measuring them? One logic model can answer 500 questions that a funder would ask you. And so doing that work, not when there's a deadline on the horizon, but doing that work and making it a part of your annual planning, your strategic Mm. planning, your board retreats, and you have it already done, when you write grants from that point on, it's almost like your blueprint. You just come to it. Okay, let's pull this information. And then you submit and you're in a position to write the proposal. Mm, I love that because in my experience, like the logic model is so aligned with, um, with this type of funding. Like it's definitely not always relevant to other types of funders, but when it comes to grants, it's having that very clearly articulated um, is so, so valid and going to save you so much time, yes. um, which I love. I, I, no one has time, right? Um, so we have a good logic model. I think mm-hmm. the sort of um, bookend of that is like, if these are bookends, there's the one, the logic model, the other uh, maybe obviously is program evaluation and reporting. Right. I'm kind of leading, leading the witness here because I know this is one of your points. Uh, (laughs) So I want you to talk a little bit about what, so once we understand, okay, here's, here's the problem we're solving for and how we're solving for it. Mm -hmm. How do we make sure 
that we're able to, and it, it goes back to the relationships year over year, we want to mm-hmm. continue these funding. That means we have to have some good reporting. Mm-hmm. What do we need? How do we establish that, that baseline or those requirements? I would call this point number three, measuring your success. Mm. And all of that is how to track, measure, and report on the impact of your programs. A lot of this is summarized in an evaluation plan, which is what, you know, we walk nonprofit leaders through all the time of really showing how you're going to measure your success. A a foundation wants to know, like, they want you to establish your own measures of success, tell them how you're going to measure it, And yeah, they're going to hold you accountable to that when you have to turn in your report, right? So it's definitely a part of the process. But I will say tracking, being able to measure your data, reporting your your data is so crucial. Having baseline data established and then tracking along the way is super important, especially for new nonprofits that have not had their 501c3 for at least two years. Mm. In that time frame, it's sometimes difficult to get funding because they feel like, oh, well, you're, you're still green. But during that time, you need to be tracking what you're doing, tracking your impact, because when the two years is up and when you have to start writing grants, you need to show your history and what you've done. And if you've been tracking it, then you have a story, right? So. Yeah, I- that's it's so true, especially <laughs> for organizations that are starting out or, you know, don't have a track record with grant grant funding, you know, Mm -hmm. building the systems beforehand will make it so much easier to move into that. Yeah. And, and even if you're established, you know, um, really thinking about how are you serving your beneficiaries? How often are you serving? What questions are you asking? Are the questions leading to the information that you're looking to get, right? So all of that is super important. And again, if you have not done that work already, when you're applying for the grant, it's not the time to do it, right? So doing it up front, and again, that's a blueprint that you can use on multiple applications. Yeah. Um, so we've covered three. What's number four? Number four. Number four is really about having a program or project budget. And I know it seems mm. obvious. <laughs> I might be preaching to the choir here. Oh, the I, reason why, <laughs> okay. we've, seen, we've seen it all uh, working with small organizations. I know that the budgets vary. The quality of the budget varies so significantly. So yes. tell us what it should look like. Okay. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone here, Cindy. Sometimes we'll, we'll ask, okay, send us your budget. That's an operating budget. I'm like, where's your program budget? They're like, what are you talking about? So this is why we're having this conversation now, right? Um, taking the time to extract your program budget from your operating budget is crucial because most of the funding that's out there is for programs. And when you're looking for funding for a program, they want to know your budget. As, as a bare minimum, they want to know the amount of your budget. And some of them will ask you to attach your budget or to upload your budget, right? And so you want to know what expenses are exclusively attributed to that program, not your overhead. What expenses are aligned to that specific program? And more importantly, what percentage of your salaries 
Mm-hmm. Are aligned to that <laughs> program. So if you have someone that's working and then they're spending 50% of their time doing like operational stuff, right? And the other 50% doing program stuff, then that 50% of that salary needs to be under your program because then you're carrying too much on your on your operating. So doing that up front, um, also knowing what specific revenue streams are tied to that program, whether it's a specific grant or individual giving that's been dedicated to that program, super key to know. Mm. And it needs to be accurate. So if you don't have one, again, when you're doing your annual planning, you're doing your operating budget, you need to have your program budget um, um, set up as well. I want to, I mean, I've seen such variation in terms of level of detail that or that funders want from the budget. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, the salary part is critical and for some reason seems really hard for a lot of organizations, but I think you explained it beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of like the level of detail or, or sometimes I don't like to use this word, but I feel like it feels like we have to justify these expenses. Mm -hmm. So what would you recommend in terms of with that budget work that we're doing for the projects or programs specifically we're applying for grants for, Mm -hmm. how detailed should they be? I would, if we're going to take time in the beginning of the year and end of the year to do this, right? Make the most of your time. Right. Because you're going to have to live with that budget for the whole year. Mm. Right. Take the time to craft a detailed budget in Excel with everything adding up all the formulas. Right. If you go in to make changes, that's fine. Or recalculate. Right. Every detail have a, a, a tab where the calculations are actually done. So you have what went where, how many pieces of paper times the cost of the piece of paper, tolling, whatever, all the calculations, because in a year's time, you're going to totally forget how you calculated those numbers, right? Mm -hmm. So having that tab there, so it's documented, having your super duper detailed line by line program budget. If a foundation asks for a detailed budget, you already have it. If they don't need a detailed budget, you can always hide rows. You can always hide the details and just show the totals if you want. So you have the flexibility to manipulate the budget um, in any way that works for you or that meets the funder's needs. More saying that works for you, but meets the funder's needs and without driving yourself crazy. Mm, Yeah. And this is kind of a rant for the funders who might be listening. It's like kind of impossible to do that level of detail for year three or four or five of a grant. So I, you know, I, that's one of the pet peeves I think uh, that comes up a lot these days for multi-year funding. But anyways, that's more of a a side note. Um, Before we went out of time, I definitely want to hear what number five is. (laughs) Number five, train your board of directors. Tell me, and this is the most important one. There is no I in team, right? And your board of directors need to be front and center when it comes to the strategic plan uh, for approving your budget, uh, creating a grant seeking strategy. But a lot of nonprofit organizations forget that board members are also responsible for supporting fundraising. So, the first thing 100% of your board should be donating money or they should be uh, procuring 
resources or finding resources or bringing money to the table. Board members are instrumental in facilitating friend relationships and making those connections and networking. So it should not just be the executive director or the director of development responsible for this. Your board of directors should be instrumental to opening doors, speaking to people at foundations, making introductions, uh, especially if there are funders that don't accept unsolicited proposals, you need to make sure that you can kind of leverage those personal relationships. So training your board and engaging your board, if they don't know how to engage, if they don't know how to fundraise, don't be shy to bring in a person to train your board on how to do this because it will pay dividends. Mm, yeah. And I think so often I hear, well, I don't know anyone. I don't know anyone. But what you're, what I hear you saying is that it's not I mean, obviously, if if they can open doors, fantastic. But there are other ways that the board can be involved in this by helping build those relationships, attending, you know, meetings, connecting with people that don't require that sort of, you know, philanthropic network that sometimes Mm -hmm. we associate with with boards of bigger organizations, et cetera. So Mm -hmm. I think that's so critical. Mm -hmm. Um, We're, 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 wrap, we need to wrap up. We're almost out of time, but, um, I do want to hear from you where our listeners can connect with you. Uh, this is such great information that I truly believe every organization needs to go through these steps. So what can, where can our listeners find you? Yeah. So my organization is called Thinking in Grant Consulting. Uh, we specialize in grant supporting women, children, health, and education. Our website is Think and inkgrants.com. You can also check me on LinkedIn, uh, Siobhan Richardson. Uh, I love connecting with folks there. And uh, yeah, check us out. Also write on Forbes.com. So I have a Forbes profile with all my articles. So if you just want to kind of read more, I have articles on Forbes.com. And my blog on my website is uh, also a really good resource for information. So check out the blog, sign up for the newsletter, and let's keep the conversation going. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And of course, to our listeners, thank you for all that you do. And we will see you next week. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode of The Small Nonprofit. I'm your host, Cindy Wagman, and this show is brought to you by The Good Partnership. As a reminder, if you want more resources around raising more money for your small nonprofit, visit thegoodpartnership.com and download our free fundraising strategy guide. I'll see you next week.